Good morning. Some of our lights are lit today from our lanterns that were um, made during our church retreat. So thanks to those, um, to everybody who participated in making some lanterns. Let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What does it take to get ready for Jesus? Over the past few weeks, we've been in the middle of these parables from Matthew, and they relayed the same urgent question. Jesus is going to come back. That's a given for the listeners of these parables. We don't know when. The Bible says Jesus doesn't even know when. We don't know where or how or in what form this return will take. Counter to End Time Preachers and the Left Behind book series, the Bible considers this kind of speculation a useless waste of time because you have better things to do. Things like figuring out what it takes to be ready for Jesus to return. That brings us today to the parable where we meet 10 teenagers who are going out to a party. They have this job, which is to escort the groom to a wedding, and they are ready for their job, but only 10 have the foresight to prepare for a delay. And boy, is there a delay. It's so long that they all fall asleep, all of them. And when the groom ends up being very late, five of the teenagers are underprepared. Five have brought extra oil. They can dip the wick of their lamp into the oil and it will burn longer. And they have none to share. The girls without the oil have to go out and find an oil dealer in the middle of the night and bring their lamps back burning. And because of that, they miss the party. They're out cold. We don't get any um, allegorical clues in this story. We don't know what the oil is or the significance of falling asleep or what the lamp represents. But we do get the idea that planning for the long game is what Christians ought to be about. So we might expect this parable to end with Jesus saying, you better keep a lot of oil around because you don't want to run out. Plot twist. The parable does not end this way with Jesus' admonishment. He doesn't say keep more oil on hand. He doesn't say bring a bigger lamp. Instead, he turns to his disciples and proclaims, keep therefore awake, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Keep awake. Further plot twist. All of them became drowsy and fell asleep. Every one of those girls fell asleep. In other words, it seems that no one is actually a model for what Jesus is telling us to do at the end of this parable. The girls arrive, they fall asleep, and what comes next? This frantic re-dipping of candles, the tussle over who needs what and who has, running to find an oil merchant at 2 a.m. None of this, none of it is as it should be. All of this is a miss. 
I've chosen to call these girls the silly girls rather than the foolish, which is what most of our Greek translations offer, because the character of these girls just doesn't have any teeth. They aren't wicked or slothful. They're just teenagers who weren't prepared. At some point, were you a teenager who wasn't prepared? Just show of hands. Some of you are lying right now. Um, and they're all at fault. Every one of them is responsible for the undoing of their relationships and their commitments to one another because they all fall asleep. So what difference would staying awake have made? That's the question that's lingering in the background for us, those who've received the story, those who also wait for Jesus. What could have happened differently? If we rewind back and start again with silly and wise girls, some with enough oil to last the night and some with not enough oil, but all wakeful, what might have been different? And I've asked um, Jackie and Trixie to come and perhaps give a reenactment of what we might have heard. I am exhausted. I just want to lie down here in the courtyard. I feel that way too. We spent all day getting ready and we've been waiting almost an hour. I know. I only brought enough oil for an hour. For an hour? What if we're here for another hour or two? That isn't possible, right? Have you ever heard of that happening before? I don't, but I also know that we can't be out here in the dark without lamps. It would be disrespectful. I don't think we'd be allowed in the banquet. I didn't think of that. What should we do? I brought extra oil. It sounds like you didn't. No, but now you've got me worried. It's not dark yet. I know there's a vendor still open a little way from here. It's a risk, but I think you could leave and come back in time. I'll talk to everyone else and we can figure out what to do if the groom arrives while you're gone. We can share the extra of what we have and then when you get back, we'll have extra. Thank you. I don't know what I would have done without you. What might happen if we don't fall asleep on one another? In the parable Jesus gives us, the dominoes fall from the first failure. By the time the girls wake up, they're in a panic. There are no options left. They're in a crisis. Instead of finding a solution, they turn on one another. The groom is in sight, and it's every girl for herself. Give us some of your oil, the foolish demand in a panic. No, there won't be enough for us, they spit back. The bridal party, who are almost certainly family members, sisters, and cousins, they descend into chaos and bitterness. I mentioned earlier that we are left to figure out together what those jars of oil represent in this parable. And here's some things we do know. We know that the oil makes light in darkness. The oil is needed for us to greet the unexpected, to be able to see it. We need this oil to keep going during our waiting. And it's oil that can run out and we might need others to help us if we don't have enough. We know that without the oil, 
we won't be able to find our way to the banquet, to the joy and freedom we expect in Jesus. Friends, that oil sounds a lot like hope. I heard a story uh, recently about a theologian who was listening to a sermon about hope at the back of her church with her newborn on her lap. The preacher was talking about the importance of responsible engagement with the world, how we ought to press into our belief that we can make a difference with our lives. He believed that hope was God making our world better through our efforts. And the woman listening felt immense despair. At the time, she was suffering through persistent and debilitating depression. The sermon was incomprehensible to me, she said later. I could not imagine mustering the strength to find an active and upbeat hope when all my strength was devoted to trying to hold myself together in some semblance of a person who could reasonably care for her child. Instead, I felt criticized for my insufficient hopelessness. Margaret Adams, the theologian who wrote about this experience, she wonders if our theology of hope in the church often morphs into a Christianized version of a disaster movie. A zombie apocalypse! But then the hero manages to fly around the world, discovering the one lab where the scientist has created the antidote to save the world. An alien invasion! But that one hero finds a way to save the world by discovering the weakness in the alien technology. Yes, that's World War Z and then um, Independence Day. Yep. And in these stories, the hope is survival, no matter the cost. Our one true hope is Brad Pitt and Will Smith, our saviors. And it doesn't matter who is left behind or how many people die as casualties along the way. The greater good is always served by the protagonist who will turn and save those who have managed to survive. We are trained not to consider how many people are killed or passed over. But Christian hope doesn't look like that. Christian hope knows that there are people who cannot flee disaster because of age or disability or illness. And Christian hope says, I will stay with you to the end because I love you. Christian hope clings steadily to a belief that our lives are not more important or worthy or significant than the lives of our enemies. Christian hope says, there is not enough left for all of us, so I'm going to give you what I have. Which is another way to say that Christian hope is a matter of friendship. The Gospel of Matthew almost never uses the word hope, sort of one time at the beginning. But it is filled with stories of God's friendship with people. It tells the story of a God who refuses to be God without us. 
It tells the story of a Jesus who spends his life as the poor, among the poor, who pours out this ministry of healing among those who have been crushed under the wheels of progress and development that is the Roman Empire. It tells the story of Peter who attacks a Roman soldier, who is healed by Jesus as he's being arrested. It tells the story of one who is hand over to be crucified, dies the death of an ordinary criminal among ordinary criminals. He is tortured to death and buried. And on the third day, he is raised again. Keep awake. Keep awake. Which is another way to say, pay attention to each other. Look towards each other's needs. Because some of us are silly and some of us are wise. And it's likely that in the same day, we could be both. And we need one another because the darkness is so dark. We need each other because the night is so long. If we are to find hope, it will be in finding our way to a kind of hope that makes all things new. A hope that says, I will not leave you here in the dark. I will not leave you here alone. We will find our hope, our one true hope, and the God who loves us even beyond death. We will find our hope in Jesus. Amen.